Welcome to Empowered Conversations. I'm your host, Susie Petrozzi. This podcast will take you on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery through conversations with special guests that will inspire you to live the life of your dreams. Get ready now for an Empowered Conversation. A big welcome to my next guest on Empowered Conversations, Lisa Buxton, who is an executive officer for the Aboriginal Catholic Ministry. Um, and before I properly introduce her and say hello to her, I also want to just mention that Lisa is the first Aboriginal graduate from the School of Education at Notre Dame Uni in Australia to graduate graduate with a Doctoral of Education by publication. Um, Lisa, thank you so much for um having this conversation with me. Thanks for having me. And Lisa, I have a strong sense to, just for both of us to do an acknowledgement of the country. Would you like to do that? Yeah. Um, Jingri Walu, Lisa Buxton. Um, as a visitor to this country, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on which we're speaking to each other this afternoon and pay my respects to our ancestors of the four directions and honour our elders past and present. Um, who still look after this country and as they have done for tens of thousands of years. I also acknowledge with respect the elders of today who are passing on our knowledge, our languages and and continue the vital work of caring for country. Mm, thank you, Lisa. So, Lisa, um, some of the research that you've done is um, is incredibly important when it comes to working with teachers and looking at ways of introducing um, Aboriginal history, but just Aboriginal ways of being. Before we go into that, um, I want to know a little bit about your story. How did you, where did you grow up? Where is your place of, um, I suppose, place of birth and place of connection? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I'm a normal woman of Bunjalung, so I grew up in Moolumba, um, on the Tweed or within the Tweed Valley. Um, yeah, so really I'm a, you know, gooey country kid at heart. Um, and was fortunate enough to be able to grow up on country, um, with cousins and, um, brothers and sisters. You know, um, just kids being kids, really. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, I grew up in Moolumba, mm. born and bred in Moolumba, mm. educated in Moolumba, the Catholic school, um, and until year 11, and then we had to go to the state school, mm-hmm. the Catholic school that we went to year 10. Mm. And did you, so how how long did you stay um, uh, there? How long did you stay there before you move to the big city, the big smoke? Um, well, I mean, I, you know, my childhood in Moolumba, really. Um, I left Moolumba in when I was about 18, um, or when I was 18, uh, to go to university and did a humanities degree um, and then a graduate diploma in education in Brisbane at um Griffith University, um, and then taught for a couple of years, um, and then come back to country, um, cause I wanted to continue my learning. I came to the realization that I didn't kind of want to be teaching the subjects that I was trained in mm. to teach, like the English and history and, um, 
religious education and I wanted to extend my knowledge on Aboriginal studies and Aboriginal perspectives. Um, so then, yeah, then I um, started, was talking to some of the aunties um, from my childhood and reconnecting with them. Mm. And Aunty Pat O'Connor gave me permission to use Nyamba. And so I started with Lisa Wadiga, a friend of mine from uni, who I continue to work with today. Mm. Um, we started a Nyamba Glory consultancy. But, you know, really we were pretty young. Um, and we were working within schools around the Tweed, um, putting in Aboriginal perspectives. You know, we weren't very good business people. We weren't making any money, but we were developing our knowledge of country and Aboriginal ways of seeing um, and teaching that to young people on the Tweed. So, yeah, Lisa described it once as that we were like superheroes going into the classrooms because one day we'd be teaching kindergarten, the next day we'd be doing a Year 7 history class. Mm. The day after that we might be doing Year 11 um, drama or literature. Um, so, yeah, so we worked within schools um, and TAFE mm. and early childhood centres um, all over the Tweed for a couple of years. And then I moved to Sydney. Mm-hmm. So how old were you when you moved to Sydney? Sorry? How old were you when you moved to Sydney? When I moved to Sydney, um, about 26. Okay. So, so 1996. I moved to Sydney, mm. um, which was a bit of a culture shock, really. Mm. Um, coming from Moolamah to Sydney. Um, and, yeah, I was really fortunate in that one of the aunts that I've had connections to here in Sydney um, contacted the Manly Ringer Pitwater Aboriginal Support Group and a family um, took me into board with them. Initially, it was going to be for three months while I got used to Sydney life. Um, and I lived with them for three and a half years. And now they're part of my extended family. So, and still stay in contact with Cassie and Jackie O'Hare today. So, um, yeah, they're now part of the family. Mm. And then I, you know, I started teaching at Mercy College at Chatswood. Mm-hmm. And I was, a Aboriginal Education Advisor for the Diocese of Broken Bay at, you know, all of 26. So it was a steep learning wow. Yeah. And, and and at that point, you know, you had, I mean, it, it sounds like it was a steep learning curve from the word get-go after uni, um, teaching in and around Tweed Heads, and, and then coming to Sydney. How did those early experiences um, set you or help you um, in your in your work then coming here to Sydney? Um, well, it, I mean, it, it was different because, you know, in the role that I was in, I was, you know, teaching part-time, so still taking classes at school, um, but doing the advisor sort of role, you know, three days a week or two days a week. And then as it was more known that there was someone in that position, well, then I was being taken out of classes more often. So eventually moved into that role full time. Um, but as I, as I said, yeah, it was a steep learning curve. So, you know, I was still pretty young. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things 
that I realized pretty quickly was that people didn't know a lot about how to put in Aboriginal perspectives or Aboriginal history within their classes besides what was in textbooks at the time. Um, or, you know, like when I was at Murphy, I asked, you know, so what are we doing for NAIDOT week? And the response was, well, what's NAIDOT week? You know, it wasn't something mm. that was as well publicised and out there today as it is now. Um, so it was, and also helping people to make connections with community, but you need to make those connections yourself first to mm-hmm. be able to be that message between a school and community. So there wasn't a lot of people in these sort of roles at that time. Mm. Um, yeah, so, so it was all new. Mm. So how have things changed? I mean, I haven't even talked about your research yet, but we'll get to that. Lisa, how have things changed for you now? Like, uh, sorry, what I don't mean how have things changed for you now, but how have things changed in the system, the education system, when it comes to teaching um you know, be it Aboriginal history, Aboriginal perspective, Aboriginal ways of being, um, there's still a gap, certainly, but compared to then to now? Um, from then to now, I mean, it's, you know, there's the Australian curriculum and there are perspectives. There's mandatory sort of elements within the curriculum that are now taught. Um, but I think it still depends largely on the classroom teacher and their knowledge of the history and perspectives and ways of being. Um, I think one of the things is that often the same elements of our culture are taken and taught on the same level of knowledge over and over again. Mm. Um, what, know, could be, to, what could be an example of that? Sorry to interrupt you, Lisa. No worries. Um, well, just, you know, it's examples of that would be, you know, we'll see the, the dot painting sort of activity or um, kids painting boomerangs or learning about dreaming stories, for example. Um, and that's great to do that, mm. um, but they're, they're still learning on, on the same level of knowledge without looking into what are dreaming stories that they're a mechanism to teach kids about country and about the history of their country, looking at the elements of a dreaming story and what's contained within it, um, like about the natural environment or the rules for living or the spiritual connections to country. Um, so looking at it at, on deeper levels. Um, mm. As the kids grow, then the knowledge grows as well. So having high expectations for our culture and our ways of knowing um, and having teachers develop their own ways of knowing or their own connections to country so that they can talk from their own lived experience. Mm. And if we come back to now your research, your what did your doctorate um, specifically focus on when it comes to classroom education and introducing well, it? Yeah. yeah. Initially it focused on the two new national professional standards, um, 1.4 and 2.4. So generally it's about um, teaching Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students and being responsive to their histories, cultures and identities. 
and then teaching about Aboriginal histories, cultures and languages. So it was looking at how confident primary school teachers are to be able to um, become highly accomplished in this area or accomplished in this area, depending on their level of teaching. Um, and what were what are some of the barriers for them in being able to do that? And what are some of the barriers? Some of the barriers, um, the, the largest thing that I came across with the teachers that I interviewed was their fear of causing offence um, and not wanting to upset Aboriginal people or community people, um, doing the wrong thing, um, walking around on eggshells, so to speak. Um, so they didn't feel that they had the knowledge to be able to do it in, in like to teach Aboriginal perspectives or incorporate Aboriginal ways of being into their teaching um, at a level that they thought they should be. They also expressed that they hadn't done a lot of professional development in that area, besides uh, like a history lesson um, of the significant dates and things like that. So they largely rely on outsourcing and bringing in a dance troupe or an elder to tell a story. And that's great too, because mm-hmm. that, you know, exposes kids to Aboriginal people and cultural ways of being and expression of spirit. Um, but they really had a thirst for, you know, extending their own knowledge of Aboriginal ways of seeing and being. Mm. And, and is, how do you, like, envisage this is something that can be changed? Is it, is it, you know, is this something that has to start from the top down? Well, how do you envisage seeing that? Because you're, you're not just a, just a researcher. You have been in the, um, you know, you worked as a teacher. Yep. Um, yeah, I worked within, you know, the Catholic education system here in Sydney for 20 years. So um, I think it needs to be a multi-level sort of approach for it to be incorporated um, respectfully in that it needs to be supported by the system whatever the system of education may be. Mm. Um, you need to have supportive leadership and there are great principles out there that support this and support um, having Aboriginal perspectives in, in the curriculum. Um, and then the teachers, the classroom teachers, um, need to have or have opportunities to be able to develop their knowledge on Aboriginal ways of seeing. You know, you can't know what you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and to be comfortable in what they know. You know, there's not enough Aboriginal people out there to be going in and, and teaching this um, to, to the children. We, we need teachers. We need teachers to work with us. Um, we need teachers to be able to learn about Aboriginal history and culture. Mm. And is this something that is being offered more or is being introduced into the system? Yeah, I think it is. It's a lot better than it was 20 years ago. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it is being offered and there are people out there doing it, which is great. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think, it, yeah, it needs to be 
um, done a bit more. And, you know, it, our unique position in this country needs to be um, recognised. So, and we need to be teaching all kids about Aboriginal history and Aboriginal culture, you know. Um, Aboriginal people have the longest surviving culture in the world and, you know, that's something that all Australians can be proud of. Mm. Um, to be able to learn from the country itself, you know, to be able to learn how you connect with country um, and have the opportunity to be able to do that. That's one of the reasons why we developed the framework, mm. um, you know, and it started 20-odd years ago when I was in Broken Bay. Um, you know, I have to acknowledge Omar Edwards that, you know, it was her generosity of spirit and her extensive knowledge that she was able to share with me to be able to extend my learning journey. And so we um, developed Younger then, which is 20-odd years ago, um, about connecting the country and giving teachers and kids mm. that experience, you know. Yeah. And it still influences my practice today. Yeah. I, I wanted to know more about that, like your own your own learnings that you feel would be appropriate to share, like that you've learned from your own um um from your family, relatives, um um community elders. Um what are some of the things that have influenced you when it comes to your own connection to land and um that you know spirituality the the Aboriginal way of seeing and being well i mean i was I was lucky as I said to grow up on on country um you know I have Aboriginal um heritage South Islander heritage and English heritage mm. and very she's very strong grandparent um who were strong in their their cultures and and their faith um so they were, you know, a very strong influence early on. Um, then I was lucky enough to have aunts that, that helped me on my journey um, on the Tweed mm. um, and learning about who I was and, and where I belong in, in this place um, and started those connections to country. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was just lucky to do that. I was also lucky to have you know, cultural educators, mm. colleagues as I worked through Aboriginal education in the Catholic system that supported me and my journey, um, you know, guided me, corrected me at times. Mm. Um, so I think it was just, you know, being open to have those connections and to listen to those people that are providing you with advice. So, um there's, you know, some key elders within Sydney that mm. helped me both culturally and spiritually. Um, so it's about developing your knowledge on all different levels of yourself. Mm. You know, we take in knowledge on different levels, physically, intellectually, yeah. emotionally, and in turn spiritually. And having the people that are going to support you on those journeys, you know, and now, luckily through the years, um, and hopefully I'm able to then help young people to discover, you know, their identity and their connections. Mm. And that's so important. It's really what it's all about is, is our education systems are, you know, connecting you to your country, 
and where you come from and where you belong, you know. And it's growing people up, you know, mm. so that people are self-disciplined, intellectually strong, you know, emotionally sound and spiritually open. So mm. responsible, honest, respectful, you know, and become our elders of the future. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, when you talk about the, when you talk about the young ones, I kind of think, well, that's good. Um, I mean, it's great to see what, how the system has changed, particularly since I was like, since I was in high school. I mean, I don't really recall much on like just the basics on Aboriginal history and not much more than that. So I would say then within me, there's a big gap on that as much as I've tried to, I guess, read up. I mean, you can only go so much with reading. I mean, we've been blessed to have had some incredible people that we've come in contact with. Um, but, you know, for someone like me and someone else who is open and wants to, the, the question that I come back to, Lisa, is what is an Aboriginal way? Like, I, I know this may sound so, um, I don't know, I'm not even going to judge it. I'll just say it. Like, what's, what's a way that we can connect more to the country in a way that acknowledges um, our Aboriginal ancestors, heritage, and, you know, who the land actually um, belongs to where this land comes from. Yeah, I think. Well, I think that's you know a good step to start with to find out you know who are the custodians of the country and, and where you're situated. And a lot of places are doing that mm. now. Um, you know, whether it be churches or schools or councils and businesses yeah. have an acknowledgement sort of plaque. Um, and acknowledging country at big events, you know, the way mm -hmm. that, you know, you ask to acknowledge country um, at the start of the conversation, you know. I think that's a great start because it acknowledges uh, um, those nations, people of this country, that they are sovereign nations and that sovereignty has never been ceded. Um, so it's a way of showing respect, you mm. know. Um, it's like knocking on the door before you enter someone's home. Mm. Um, it's, you know, that asking permission to enter. And anybody can do that. Um, so it's, yeah, anyone can do that. And that's, that's the start. I think also, you know, looking for opportunities to learn um, and, you know, realizing that we are all learners. Like, as an Aboriginal person and my connections to country, that's, that's a lifelong journey for me, mm. you know. Um, and so it's being open to learn from experiences from different people, hearing people's stories, um, accepting the gifts that have been offered, like, um, you know, Annie Miriam Rose, who's the Australian senior of the mm. year, and people talk about the beer. And, you know, that was a gift she offered to the Australian people some 30-odd years ago. Um, and so it's, you know, being in country um, and that deep listening or yeah. contemplation, you know, to to take those opportunities to go out and be in country and observe country and listen to country um, and then finding the people that can offer you the skills or teach you skills to extend that knowledge. 
mm-hmm. you know, reading um, books by Aboriginal people, watching films by Aboriginal people, learning about the history of this country, which is, you know, that element of the Uluru Statement and truth-telling, um, you know, acknowledging what happened. I think even within schools, you know, there still is that element of being separate. Um, that, you know, you teach Aboriginal perspectives and then you teach Australian history until Aboriginal history is part of Australian history, then we're not going to truly achieve reconciliation, you know. It's a part of the history of this country. And we need to acknowledge that there are, you know, some harmful elements to our past. And then working towards um, walking together, you know. Mm. Which is why I think the Uluru Statement was another gift that, you know, hasn't yet been joyfully received. Because I don't think a lot of, you know, a lot of people are very unsure about it. Mm. And different elements. Mm. And you start talking about voice and trees. Yeah, um, I'll I'll definitely put that as a reference, Lisa, in our in the show notes, like the Uluru statement and some of the other things um, that you've like even even Aboriginal um, documentaries, movies. That, that's all like that's all accessible to us, as far as I know. I know SBS and both ABC have have great resources when it comes to that. But just to come back and to NITV, yeah, 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 and that's that's on. NITV is under the umbrella of, let me just get this right, ABC or SBS? ABC. No. Is NI, NITV is an independent channel, right? It, I think it's it linked closely to SBS, but I'm not. Yeah, I think it is just because of, I know when I put in the, the numbers, but the point is that it's available. What I want to come back to, just just something that stirs in me when you, you know, when I asked you the question, well, how can we connect more? And I think that we can overthink it, like I overthink it, of what is it that I can do? How can I do it? And it actually takes me away maybe from the the, the most simple and the basics of what you were saying. So... I just want to acknowledge you for sharing that and that it doesn't have to be like it's we can all do that and when we can all do those those simple things like acknowledging the country which certainly more and more people are doing whether it be at conferences events schools having the plaques I mean our local school has that um the councils um being open-minded to to read, to research, um, to to absorb that information, um, maybe attend galleries like um, I know we can't do now, we can't do that now, but just to understand that perspective um, because it's not just about art for as as far as I understand with you know that are drawn through that are represented through Aboriginal paintings and in fact you could speak more on this because one of the things I haven't mentioned Lisa is that you're also an artist. Yes, I don't. Yeah. I'm sorry for not mentioning that. No, no, all good. Um, yeah, all good. I, you know, I really enjoy doing art um, and putting, you know, my ideas and cultural expression in, in that form. So, yeah. Yeah. And does it just, you know, when you sit down to 
um, to do a piece of art, to, to paint, to draw whatever medium you end up using. Tell me, is it like, how do you, how do you approach that? How's, how does it come to you? How do you express it? Um, it really depends on, you know, what I'm, what I'm looking at to, to express. Um, so a lot of it is around, you know, connections to country and, um, things like that, because that's, you know, that's what I'm working in. Um, but also within, you know, education and, and now in ministry. So, um, yeah, I kind of struggle with the initial process because I like to see the big picture sort of first, mm-hmm. um, which can usually take a while to get to. Um, and then just, yeah, with the use of symbolism um, and, you know, the colours and things like that to then try and do it on different levels of, of knowledge to move um, beyond just the surface level to go down into uh, deeper levels of knowledge and expressing that. And I think that's one of the things with, with art. Um, you know, everyone, you know, everyone is an individual on where their journey is, but you can read things on the surface level, but then it has deeper meaning as well. Um, so the more you know about the art and the techniques, well, then the deeper you read into it. Um, yeah, so mm. I really enjoy it. It really, it calms me. It's almost like my meditation, if you will, yeah. to, um, to do the artwork. And I miss it when I haven't done it for a while. Yeah. Okay. And is this something that you do for yourself or, um, you know, is it, are there also commissions that you're doing? Um, I do them occasionally, yes, mm-hmm. um, but largely no, it's to do it with myself or or with um, people that I've worked with or, or things like that, um, but occasionally I do the commissions and stuff when I have the time. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, well, Lisa, it's been um, incredible to um, hear from you, to hear you share about your journey and also about how, you know, how Aboriginal ways, perspectives, history, languages can be introduced more. And and, and it's interesting what it comes down to that um, it's about, you know, um, I suppose, um, encouraging or um, encouraging the teachers that it's okay to learn and ask questions and um, um, if you don't know something to ask questions about that. I mean, I understand there's systemic kind of levels to this as well, but given what you were saying that a lot of people are, um, you know, afraid of causing offence and not wanting to, um, yeah, not not wanting to do things. And they don't want to do it tokenistically, you know, mm. just do the token thing. So, mm. um, but yeah, it's about the, the teachers being able to, you know, act as a guide for the young people to open the doors for them, you know. But in order to do that, you need to go through the process yourself. So, yeah. you know, it's it's the teacher being the learner, if you will, mm. um, and then sharing their experiences to actually go out on country and have their own, build up their own emotional library, really, is what it's about. Um, and having those experiences so that then they can share that with the children and and then allow the children to have those experiences. Start from within the classroom as a learning space, you know, move out into the school grounds and see what's contained within that country mm-hmm. and then out into community. 
and making connections with community. Um, you know, often we talk about developing relationships with Aboriginal people and Aboriginal community. That's great, but you need to have the conversation first. You know, it needs to be mm. a two-way process so that they're not just ticking a box. Um, mm. And you know, have that genuine partnership. You know, and then that'll empower and strengthen the teachers' um, mm. pedagogy and, and the way that they teach or the art of teaching. Mm. Um, thank you for sharing that, Lisa. I really appreciate yeah. that. I think the what really resonated with me was the emotional library. I mean, in terms of what can happen, the access that c- they can have to um, when they're actually going to into country to work on themselves and to experience the process for themselves. Um, I really appreciate your time. Lisa, is there anything else that you'd like to share as um, as a parting note? No, I'm all good, I think. <laughs> Thank you, um, Lisa. And um, I will, I mean, if there are any resources that you have that you'd like to share that you think would be, incred- you know, really beneficial, I'll, I can put those in. Um, but I really appreciate your time and, and the work that you're doing too. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today on Empowered Conversations. Subscribe to the show now and then head over to my Facebook page, Susie Petrozzi, for free personal growth and self-discovery tools that you can use today to be present, be powerful and be on purpose. See you next time for Empowered Conversations. Empowered Conversations.